Morning, mutineers. Yes, you are listening to Mutiny Radio. And yes, this is the Labor and Love Show. And yes, that's the voice of the immortal Victor Jara, victim of September 11th, another And that was um, Victor Hara, as I said, victim of another September 11th, September 11th, 1973, when a U.S. organized and backed coup overthrew a democratically elected socialist government. This is September the 19th, birthday for me. hear something about uh, that.
Yes, today is my birthday, and happy birthday to all the rest of you who share this day with me. September the 19th. And this is the Labor and Love Show. And we're here to uh, assure you that when one person works for a dollar they didn't get, that means someone else got a dollar they didn't work for. This is how capitalism works. You get a dollar, somebody else loses one. Or a bunch of other people lose the total of a dollar. And as always, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is, you're probably on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who's not a friend of labor. Never forget, you gotta serve somebody. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Maybe a rock and roll addict dancing on the stage. Money, drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor, or they may call you chief. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. You may be a state trooper. It might be a young Turk. Maybe the head of some bigger TV network. You may be rich or poor, you may be blind or lame, maybe living in another country under another name, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you are, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Working on a home Might be living in a mansion You might live in a dome You may own guns And you may even own tanks You may be somebody's landlord You may even own banks But you're gonna have to serve somebody
Yeah, that was You Gotta Serve Somebody, of course, by Bob Dylan. And uh, every moment of every day, you're presented with choices. And we either sustain capitalism or we rebel against it. Unlike uh, what we're thinking about, capitalism is a, a series of relationships that are enforced every day. So when you go to work, you're enforcing those relationships. When you do what your boss tells you, you're going through those, you're um, strengthening those relationships. You're reestablishing them. Every day your kid goes to school, that's supporting capitalism supporting the relations, the power relations in our society. Um, capitalism has to divide us or else it can't win. Remember, you're going to have to serve somebody. And I was reminded of that this week. Um, I was sent a book to review. The book was written by a teacher in the Bay Area named Ann Burlack. 
with illustrations, beautiful illustrations, by Daniel Camacho, well-known uh, artist in the East Bay. The book is called Joelito's Big Decision, La Gran Decision de Joelito. And uh, as a teacher, you're always looking for books that will introduce social justice issues in a way that children can understand them and get a handle on the forces that are moving against them or moving for them in their lives. And this is such a book. Uh, the problem with, uh, with even some books that are very good in terms of their, their social justice message is that they're not interesting to kids. They're didactic. They're preachy. So to find a book that has both those things, it has a story that children can relate to and be interested in, and an important social justice, you know, uh, component. This is such a book. Jolito, just to be short, Jolito is a kid and his big, he and his family, he's got a, a younger sister and his mom and dad and their big celebration for the week to sort of celebrate they got through another week, we're still a family, or to, uh, is to have uh, burgers at a place called McMahon's. Okay, McMahon's, we understand who that is. And he goes, they go to McMahon's to have their burger, and the, they see his friend Brandon and Brandon's sister Alma and <clears throat> Brandon's sister and Brandon's parents picketing. Brandon's parents work at McDonald's. And uh, they're often broke. So they're, they're picketing McDonald's for uh, higher, higher pay. Let's see what it says here. We'll read a little of it. A TV reporter held a microphone in front of Mr. Thomas, that's Brandon's dad, and asked, won't McMahon's have to charge more for hamburgers if they pay the workers more? His answer would be on TV tonight. Sam McMahon has a billion dollars in the bank, Mr. Thomas said. He could easily pay workers more without raising prices. So Juelito is thinking about going anyway. He thinks about how good those hamburgers taste. <clears throat> and his mother addresses the issue. Juelito, Mama said. If we eat at McMahon's tonight, your abuelos would turn over in their graves. When your uncles and I were young, we worked from dawn to dusk picking grapes in the sizzling sun. Pesticides, no bathrooms in the fields. Picking grapes hardly paid enough to feed us. We were always hungry. Demonstrating to be treated more fairly saved your abuelo's lives. So Mama lays it down as my uh, mother laid it down to me when my brother and I got all dressed up to go see the premiere of Disney's Peter Pan. We took a ride on the, the L car downtown. And in those days in San Francisco, neighborhoods meant something. Each had a character and it was a big thing to go downtown get dressed up so 
Uh, we went downtown to see Peter Pan, which is opening uh, on Market somewhere. And we walked up, and there was a picket line, and my mother pulled us right back. She said, we never cross a picket line. We're not scabs. Back to the book, however. Um, the thing about Burlack here is that she explains so many things in passing, like that passage about McMahon having billions of dollars and how he could easily, easily raise workers' salaries. In the end, of course, Juelito decides to stay out. His family goes to a different place that's not owned by a big conglomerate. Cocina de las Ollitas on 18th. They have great food and the workers get paid fairly. There's no Mr. McMahon getting rich every time someone buys a burger. And what I like here is another one. A small crowd had gathered around them listening. Mr. Thomas continued, It's a math problem, brother. One year, Sam McMahon was paid $9 million. I'd have to work 500 years to earn as much as Sam earns in one year. Mr. McMahon's bank account is bursting and we can't pay the rent. He has way more money than he needs because he pays the workers so little. Now, if that message could get across to our young people, where they understand that the accumulation of great riches comes at the cost of workers' lives. That's money that workers earn that's stripped from them. They're paid a fraction of that. And that extra goes to the owner or to a board to divide up. Juelito's big decision it's a hardball press, available in bookstores all around the Bay Area. The author is Ann Burlock. Daniel Camacho did the illustrations, which are just outstanding. They look like uh, chalk drawings, and they're very effective. And translated by Jose Antonio Galloso. Check it out. Juelito's big decision. If you're a teacher, it's a good way to talk to kids about income inequality and what you can do about it. If you're a parent, it's a way to introduce these concepts to your children. Juelito's big decision. Check it out. I want to get now to our uh, labor news reports. We've got um, Labor Radio, which is worldwide, and we've got the Win Weekend Review. Here we go. Give me a second here. Hook up. There we go. Win Weekend Review. Thank <laughs> you. 
Workers Independent News Week in Review. For WIN, I'm Joanne Powers. After several months that the bargaining committees have been working with FCA, we can announce today that UAWFCA has reached a tentative agreement. After working long into the night since choosing the automaker as the first for negotiations on Sunday, the United Auto Workers and Fiat Chrysler announced a tentative agreement on a new contract Tuesday evening. While union and company officials are being cagey about the agreement's details until they've met with their leadership, UAW President Dennis Williams believes it is balanced and still keeps them in a competitive place. The agreement still needs ratification by UAW's 36,000 Fiat employees, but is seen as a likely model for negotiations with General Motors and Ford. In addition to attempting to address rising health care costs, Fiat Chrysler's chief executive, Sergio Marcione, hinted that the new agreement could phase out the controversial two-tier wage system that has been in place since 2007. After a five-day strike, Seattle Education Association teachers will begin the school year having settled on a tentative contract agreement Tuesday, which they've declared a victory for workers and students. SEA Bargaining Committee Chair Phyllis Campano. We are actually really excited about the agreement that we reached. We're making a difference with this contract for our kids. We had a unanimous vote to go on strike, and I think the educators here, not only in Seattle but throughout Washington, has reached a level of frustration and anger around not being fully funded and not having the resources that we need to educate our children and then having expectations that are unrealistic. It was educators saying enough. We need to start fighting back for our children and we need to start fighting back for public education. We decided to take a stand. We had the courage, we had the unity and the strength to do it. We want great stuff for our kids. The SEA board and representative assembly voted to suspend the strike until their members have an opportunity to vote on the agreement Sunday. If rejected, workers could return to the picket lines. A new study from the Center for American Progress and researchers from Harvard and Wellesley shows that the percentage of union members in an area is one of the most important factors for determining the future economic success of its children. CAP Managing Director for Economic Policy David Madland Children whose parents were unionized do better on a whole bunch of outcomes, but when workers join together in unions and they have some power, they also are able to influence the politics of an area. Unions help make public investments. They push, for example, for a school system to spend more money to educate all children. Republican lawmakers in the state of Missouri this week failed to amass the two-thirds majority needed to override Democratic Governor Jay Nixon's veto of so-called right-to-work legislation. Had the veto been overridden, Missouri would have become the 26th state to adopt the anti-worker law. Although all workers benefit from a union's collective bargaining activities, under right-to-work workers would not be required to support the union with dues. The American right has been aggressively pushing for right-to-work laws in several states to weaken organized labor and lower wages. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. That was Workers Independent News, and that's a big victory for teachers in Seattle. <clears throat> the key to this strike uh, in Seattle, we'll have a little bit more later on, but was unity with the community. They did their homework before they went out on strike. Now here's Radio Labor. This provides us with a national, more of an international uh, viewpoint. You become aware of all the people around the world who are fighting for rights in the workplace. Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, September 18th, 2015. I'm Mark Belanger. 
In the report this week, the international labor movement plans massive demonstrations about climate. One of the largest global union federations holds its first World's Women's Conference, and our Labor Start correspondent reports on union activities around the world. This is Radio Labor. More than 250 union leaders attended a global labor conference on climate in Paris, September 14th and 15th. They were preparing for a major United Nations climate change conference to be held also in Paris, November 30th to December 11th. The international labor movement will be conducting massive demonstrations around the world just before UN conference. The goal of the UN conference is to achieve a legally binding agreement on climate from all of the nations of the world. I spoke to Annabella Rosenberg about the recent labor conference. Ms. Rosenberg is the policy officer responsible for environmental issues at the International Trade Union Confederation, the ITUC. I asked her to outline the major conclusions of the recent labor conference on climate. The conference reached three main conclusions. The first one is on the negotiations front and a clear call from the labor movement to government to commit what we call a just transition for workers. So basically, they can agree on the long-term goal on climate, but we also want them to take a commitment to accompany workers in, in the transition. So that's a first important call from the union movement to governments as an outcome of the summit. The second big decision is to call on trade unions across the world to mobilize on the 28th and 29th of November on a major global day of action on climate that is going to be organized the day before the summit opens in Paris. So we want a strong union presence in all those rallies around the world to show that working people are not only on the front lines of impacts, but also have solutions to the way in which we want to see the economy being transformed. And the third big outcome, I think, and shows the strength of the leadership that many unions are willing to provide on this issue. We have to do more on industrial transformation and just transition. I mean, how we translate this into national policies, into our companies, into new rights, uh, in the work we do in the workplaces. So I think there's a long-term work and a long-term commitment coming out of the summit as well. The ITUC talks about a just transition to a sustainable economy. What is a just transition? It's a package of policies that we think government should put in place to help workers moving to a new economy. We are talking about a package that must include investment in new jobs, in new opportunities, reskilling for workers that are in declining industries, social protection so that they can protect the income and pensions, social dialogue because we need to get a seat at the table with governments and employers on the way in which we transform the economy. Uh, we are talking also about investment in the communities that today depend on polluting industries. We defend our workers. We are also worried about all the families and workers that might not belong to the union movement, but make their living out of servicing many of the polluting industries. So a just transition is indeed a package of policies for workers in declining industries, but also for the communities that depend on them. So we are talking about a package of justice that will respect all the wealth that these workers have brought to the economy so that they have a voice in the, in the way in which their future is going to look like. 
The Global Union Federation Industrial held its first World Women's Conference this week in Vienna. Industrial, which was created three years ago, represents some 50 million workers in 140 countries. Its members are employed in mining, energy, manufacturing, and textile sectors. Radio Labor's senior correspondent, Seamarie Ainsborough, has a report. More than 300 labor leaders from industrial unions met in Vienna this week to discuss issues such as violence against women, maternity leave, organizing women into unions, and helping women become leaders in their unions. The conference was opened by Industrial's Monica Kemperle, Industrial's Assistant General Secretary. Much of the discussion during the first day of the conference focused on the plight of women working in the global supply chains of large multinational corporations. The director of Industrial's Women's Department, Carol Bruce, spoke to the delegates about the young women working in Ethiopia's garment sector. The biggest foreign investor by far in Ethiopia is a company called Aika, which is um, in the supply chain of a German multinational called Chibo. This Aika employs more than 7,000 workers in Addis Ababa, and they're expanding, and most of these 7,000 workers are very young. And so many of the women told us that they dreamt that the sexual harassment would stop. They also told us that they were hired by the foreign bosses, as they called them, on the basis of beauty. Then the bosses lined them up to assign them their tasks. And then they were often propositioned and then taken to an office or even a nearby hotel. So as you can imagine, this was this was something that they dreamt would stop. After that, we spoke about this with Monica Kemperle, and she was then able to call Chibo in Hamburg because we have good relations with the Chibo company. And Chibo then immediately intervened. Some of these managers were put on notice. Some of them were sent home immediately by plane, and some of them were directly fired. So all of this is just to tell you that it is possible for us to take action and to improve situations for workers along the supply chain. Yorki Reyna is the General Secretary of Industrial. He reminded the conference participants and those listening to the conference online that the issues being discussed were of importance to all unionists, men and women. Organize more women workers, improve maternity protection, health and safety, combat violence against women, fight precarious work and gender discrimination, and ensure better women's representation in union structures at the local, national, and global level. These are not women's issues. They are union issues. This is Seamarie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the more than 2,000 stories that our volunteers have collected since our last report. Last week, our top stories section included links to news about the newest round of repression of union activists in Iran, attacks on union leaders in Turkey, the worldwide taxi strikes against Uber, and a massive legislative rollback of labor rights in Finland. We also had coverage of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Bank workers in Barbados shut down the country's financial system when management refused to meet their union to discuss the layoffs of co-workers. 
Their colleagues in Belize held a mass sick-out to protest layoffs at that country's largest bank. South African farm workers were picketing in a wage dispute. Steel workers in Egypt held a sit-down strike to demand bonuses owed to them, while their comrades in Mexico blocked access to a steel plant. Canadian car dealership employees saw their employer agree to return to the bargaining table after two and a half years of lockout. Nigerian oil workers ignored a court order and went ahead with their strike, barricading themselves in their employer's offices. Our top working women's stories included coverage of efforts by the union representing education workers at a Canadian university to protect its members from online threats of violence the ongoing strike by women tea plantation workers in India, and the innovative tactics they are using to pressure not only their employer but also their union, the formation of a domestic workers' union in Mexico, and the new and prominent roles women are assuming in the American labor movement. Our health and safety newswire carried stories about the murder of road toll collectors in Nigeria, the plight of South African women left to care for spouses and parents with industrial diseases, and concerns about public safety after construction workers complained about the condition of their trucks in Trinidad and Tobago. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. All of these campaigns are requested by and sponsored by unions around the world. Join us in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. The attack, the, the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case which could have devastating effects on public sector unions, specifically the case um, averse that workers don't have to pay into union coffers, but they, the union is still required to represent them. A free ride for some workers. And for workers who are just, you know, need the money, right? That looks to them like, a sa like saving. You know, if I don't have to put... Uh, 50 or 60 bucks or 20 or 30 bucks or 10 or 15, whatever it is, into my union every month. Of course, that's a ridiculously short-term way to look at the problem. Pay the money, have the protection. The woman who brought the suit said that she's really happy with her union. She just doesn't think they should be involved in political campaigns and she doesn't want to pay money. Here's an interview with a woman named Elaine Bernard from Harvard Law School. Let's hear what she has to say here. In Solidarity News on Radio Labor. I'm Mark Belanger. In the United States, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case which could have devastating effects on the labor movement in the country. The case is called Frederick versus the California Teachers Association. Ms. Fredericks is a woman teacher supported by a right-wing anti-union organization. She argues that by paying what is called a fair share fee, she is being forced to support a political activity. The political activity she objects to is collective bargaining. 
I talked to Elaine Bernard about the case. Ms. Bernard is the executive director of the Labor and Work Life Program at Harvard Law School. I asked her to describe the court case concerning the fair share fee that the California teacher wants to stop paying. The case is Fredericks versus the California Teachers Association. And it's a case of a young teacher who is arguing that she needn't pay fair share fees. Well, what are fair share fees? Essentially, in uh, the U.S., once a union is certified, it must represent everybody in the bargaining unit. They're not by law required to join the union, but they are required to pay at least a what's called a fair share. That is a portion of the dues, and only that portion which actually covers the bargaining and negotiations. And and the idea is that everybody's going to benefit from what the union does. The union is obliged to represent everyone, whether they join or not. And so in many states, there's what's called fair share. So employees are required to pay a portion of the dues. It normally works out to only about 60, maybe 70 percent of what a member would pay. And the idea is to prevent free riders. That is people who get all the benefits but don't pay into it. The Supreme Court will be taking up this case in its next term, which starts in October and ends in June of 2016. What are the implications for labor unions if the court rules against fair share fees? Well, there's 25 states right now, including California, that have established these fair share fees. And so what it would do is it would turn basically public sector in those states into what we call in the U.S. right to work. That is the law would prohibit negotiating fair share so that you would have workers the union is obliged to represent but is not able to collect dues from them. So it would be totally voluntary as far as dues. We've, we've already seen some examples of this in Wisconsin two years ago after legislators rescinded the mandatory fees in Wisconsin. A third of the state's teachers stopped paying dues. So it creates this massive uh, uh, free rider problem and really undermines the uh, financial viability of, of unions and their ability to, to represent workers. If one-third of the teachers in Wisconsin stopped paying dues when they were allowed to legally, doesn't that say, isn't that an argument against trade unions that so many people would, uh, would pull out at that time? No, I don't think it's an argument against uh, trade unions. And remember, the North American model is the union is actually required to represent everyone. So the problem is if unions were able to really compete, say, okay, if you don't want to pay dues, that's fine, but we also don't have to represent you. That would be a different situation, but here you've got a sort of lock where the union must represent everybody, whether they pay, pay or not. It's uh, you know a very unfair sort of system. Why is this happening now? Fair share fees have been in effect for decades. Why are they being attacked now? 
Well, fair share in the public sector goes back to, you know, the 1970s and a case called, uh, in fact, an education case, uh, Abood versus uh, Detroit uh, Board of Education, um, and basically said, you know, states uh, uh, um, uh, can't force people to join unions, but where a union is certified, then, you know, you can negotiate uh, uh, to have fair share. In order to to have the union viable, um, well, what's happened in recent years is that there's a number of conservative think tanks and others who, who are really out to make the United States union free. And they have been funding uh, lawsuits like this one with Fredericks, and uh, uh, and and trying to, they've discovered if they go after the fee base of unions, if they make them financially uh, uh, very difficult, they'll undermine unions. So we've seen whether it was, you know. Uh, the legislation. There's been a lot of legislative initiatives in California going after uh, unions' ability to collect fees, union security, uh, union participation in political action, which is sort of interesting because we don't see this on the other side. For instance, uh, stopping corporations uh, if uh, from being engaged in political action. And of course, in the United States, the Supreme Court has determined that uh, um, that money is speech. And therefore, we have this problem that more and more uh, money <laughs> uh, is involved in politics. And it's... Uh, uh, and what we're seeing is a real attack on the labor movement and labor's ability to organize and to be able to represent uh, members. Okay, that's a dangerous case that's uh, moving through the uh, court system and the Supreme Court will rule on that. Can you get a free ride at your job? You know, if I have to represent you in court and represent your interests in negotiating and you don't want to pay dues, I would think that all the gains that the union has made for you, you should forfeit. Go back to the time when there was no union and you were making a few hundred dollars a month. Someone should bring that case. Okay, that's radio labor. Let's play a little music here. Little Allen Ginsberg, Isley Brothers. Like bureaucrat telling me what to eat. 
I don't like police dogs sniffing round my feet. I don't like communist censorship of my books. I don't like Marxists complaining about my looks. I don't like Castro insulting members of my sex. Leftists insisting we got the mystic fix. I don't like capitalists selling me gasoline coke. Multinationals burning Amazon trees to smoke. Big corporation take over media mind. I don't like the top bananas that are robbing Guatemala banks blind. I don't like the KGB, Gulag concentration camps. I don't like the Maoist Cambodian death dance. Fifteen million were killed by Stalin, the terrorist war. He has killed our red revolution forevermore. I don't like anarchists screaming, love is free. I don't like the CIA, they killed John Kennedy. Paranoia tanks sit in Prague and Hungary. But I don't like how the revolution paid for by the CIA. Tyranny in Turkey or Korea, 1980. I don't like right-wing death squad democracy. Iran, Nicaragua yesterday. They say fair play, government keep the secret police off of me. No hope communism, no hope capitalism, yeah. Everybody's lying on both sides, yeah, yeah, yeah. The bloody iron curtain of American military power. A mirror image of Russia's red babble tower. Jesus Christ was spotless but was crucified by the mob. Law and order Herod's hired soldiers did the job. Flower power's fine but innocence has got no protection. A man who shot John Lennon had a hero worshippers connection. The moral of this song is that the world is in a horrible place. Scientific industry devours the human race. Police in every country are with your gas and TV. Secret masters everywhere bureaucratized for you and me. Terrorists and police together build the lower class rage. Propaganda, murder, manipulate the upper-class stage. Can't tell the difference between a turkey and a provocateur. If you're feeling confused, the government's in there for sure. Aware, aware, wherever you are, no fear. Trust your heart, don't ride your paranoia, dear. Ordinary mind, under humor, even help enlighten woe mankind.
Twist and shout. It's my birthday. That was the Isleys with Twist and Shout, and I just played that for the hell of it. <clears throat> uh, I played it because it's my birthday, Twist and Shout, by the Isley Brothers. So I want to talk a little bit more right before the break here about the Seattle teachers' strike. After five days, the strike has been settled. They got about 13% over three years, but this is after three other years of not any kind of a raise. 3%, 2%, and 4.5% over three years. And they're also going to get 4.5% cost of living increase from the state. The district was able to lengthen the school day by 20 minutes longest day will go into effect the third year and teachers will be compensated with additional funds generated by a local tech tax the SEA the Seattle Education Association succeeded in removing standardized test results from teacher evaluations and in establishing caseload caps for nurses and counselors but it wasn't a unanimous vote. 
by the executive board, 17 to 5 for, for the uh, contract. 60% of the delegate assembly voted yes. And uh, the ratification vote will be held on Sunday. The union went out with a unanimous, a unanimous vote, strike vote. 2,500 seat concert hall voting unanimously to strike. The union represents 5,000 teachers, nurses, counselors, instructional assistants, office workers, and paraprofessionals in a district that serves 5,300. Raises were a central issue. We haven't got a cost of living in six years, said substitute teacher Dan Tracoli. So, I said three years, it's been six years. We said every group will get the same raise. The union also wants to take the lead in uh, race and equity teams, groups of teachers in each school who will plan how to address the disproportionate discipline of students of color. Initially, Seattle teachers wanted such teams in all schools and the district would only agree to six. Now here's a case where teachers want to take on a problem which districts have historically been unable to deal with. Students of color, especially boys who are thrown into special education classes basically because they're disciplinary problems. Not because there's anything, you know, wrong with them or their ability to learn or anything else. Uh, a big, a big victory for teachers and for labor in general. PTA member Luciana Stashovec Penola organized strike support through Facebook group Soup for Teachers. In less than a week, the group grew to 1,300. By the strike's end, it had 2,800 members. The mother said she supported the union's fight to protect recess along with its wage proposals. Is it fair? Yes, she said, pointing to Seattle's development boom and rising rents. It's hard to live in Seattle on a teacher's salary. This is a completely parent-run thing, soup for teachers. This seems to be the key for teacher unions, and I would say for any union which is to uh, find alliance in the community at large so that the employer, in this case the uh, district, can't set you against one another. Okay, it's just about 11 o'clock and I'm going to put on some uh, public service messages. This is Labor and Love and you're listening to Mutiny Radio. We're broadcasting live as you listen here at uh, here on the corner of Alabama and 21st Street, 2781 21st Street to be exact. Come on down to Mutiny where things are happening and where our programmers do it for love. Hang on, in the second half we'll hear from a mayoral candidate who was a guest here at Mutiny yesterday.
and uh, Victor Jara and Dia de Independencia. This is Labor and Love. See you, see you in a minute. Club Mission Clubhouse has been open since 1928, helping raise the youth of our community with sports, community cleanup, art, technological skills, education, and free meals. Their brand new gym helps keep our kids in positive productivity after school activities and their art studio fosters creativity visit them at bgcsf.org for more details or to donate
Well, that was it. We had a boys and girls program, boys and girls club, here at Mutiny Radio, which is unique as far as I know. Um, every Thursday afternoon, kids from the neighborhood are are uh, recruited to come into Mutiny Radio and work, basically produce some um, messages, public service messages, and uh, get familiar with how a radio station operates. Wonderful chance for local kids. Okay, we um, talked about a lot of labor stuff this morning. And uh, let's play some music. Um, yesterday we had in, we had a mayor's candidates quorum Mayor Candidates Forum, not Quorum, pardon me. And one of them was this guy, Francisco Herrera, who's been a musician and local activist for 20, 30 years in this area. Maybe not 30, still a young guy. Trabajo en el hotel. Aprendiendo que me puedo organizar 
esposa para mis derechos pelear, para defender la dignidad y proteger el bienestar. Eso es la la que nos da. Briefly, uh, Francisco was singing Trabajo en el Hotel. I work in a hotel because uh, by working I can afford to eat. And talking about how they need to organize the union to protect our dignity. This one is called Amino Me Crean. Don't take my word for it. I saw it on TV. Dicen que los gringos son unos hombres muy valientes, por eso mandan latinos primerito para el frente. If the gringos are so brave, like they say, why do they always put Latinos in the front? Como gente muy patriota, por eso la clase obrera está en Irak calzando botas. Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo. Ahí tienen la tele. If the rich people are so kind and good-hearted, why are poor people going around without shoes? Lo que les digo, ahí tienen la tele como testigo. Por allá andan presumiendo sus aviones invisibles que sus bombas solo matan a soldados y a civiles. A Chihuahua, ¿cómo está eso? También dicen que sus bombas no se han dirigido mal, han caído en edificios y uno que otro hospital. Pero a mí no me creen. They say their drones are exact and they can aim them right where they want. Then why do they keep bombing hospitals? Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo. Ahí tienen la tele como testigo. Y cuentan que los Hussein son unos hombres muy matones. Pero como van las cosas, a Bush no le llegan ni a los talones. Otros dicen que la ONU se opuso a la invasión, no sabiendo esa señora que Bush era su patrón. Pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo, ahí tienen la tele como testigo, pero a mí no me crean lo que les digo, ahí tienen la tele como testigo. Ay, ay, ay. 
CNN, Fox News, Univision, todos dicen y dicen, y si lo dicen, por algo lo dicen, pero a la hora de la hora no sé ni lo que dicen, solo que otros dicen que esta guerra es ilegal, pero por nosotros ser gabachos eso no se ve tan mal. Soy jornalero, disque ilegal, pero qué suerte es la mía, si me voy para Irak, Bush me da ciudadanía. En la tumba, en la tumba, ya con esta me despido de esta gran calamidad. Les deseo mucha suerte descubriendo la verdad. I wish you luck figuring out the truth of all this. But don't take my word for it. I saw it on the television. Yeah, now something by a band that I just discovered called Las Cafeteras. And this is a Chicano band. The song is called Movement Time. Thanks to my wife, uh, Sylvia, for turning me on to them. Got it all wrong, so I come to you with a song. In 1810, con el gran grito de pasión, se levantaron con razón. Black and brown fighting together on a day I'll always remember. In el 5 de mayo, con el grito de gallo, black, white, and brown bleeding together on a day I'll always remember. Because really, it hasn't been that long, so just in case Cat Williams had you guessing, let me kick y'all down with a little history lesson. In the 19th century, while the U.S. promoted degradation, annihilation with its military and U.S. Navy, Mexico got rid of the caste system, voted for its first indigenous president, even getting rid of legalized slavery. The Underground Railroad also ran south, led black folks to freedom with Mexico right there to receive them. In 1910, it was Mexican men with Pancho Villa and Zapata fighting for tierra, libertad, y techo with Adelitas on the front line with bullets across their pecho. In the year 1946, it was the Mendez family that fought against segregation in schools. Because before that, they treated us like fools, pushing us out into gangs, wars, and drugs. And then they get pissed off at us when we become crips and bloods, traviesos, zutsuras, pachucos, folkloristas, punks, bomberas, haraneras in the heat, haraneras with the bomb as beats, talking about what's really going on in the streets. In 
the 60s in the streets of Oakland, California. Black Panthers organized for answers. Young lords in New York fought against wars. The Stonewall Rebellion remained true for the rights of the LGBTQ. AIM, who was down for native rights with no shame in their game. Brown berets in LA learning how to fight and doing what's right. In the campus of California, Filipinos were the first ones to lay down the boycott. Screaming in solidarity, Isang Baksak, one rise, one fall. You come for one, you come for all. And today, Arizona and Alabama, they don't play. Carving out racist laws like it's made out of clay. I stand with Emmett, Trayvon, Oscar, and Bell. With my mentor, Mumia, up in the cell. Telling you I'd rather be blind than to stay quiet on a day while my people are hunt down like prey. My ability to breathe is directly connected to my ability to see. It's not about me, never was, never will be. It's about we. It's time to move, y'all. My people. It's movement time. Las Cafeteras with uh, It's Movement Time, a Chicano band from East Los Angeles. Their music fuses spoken word folk music with traditional son jarocho, African-Mexican music, and dancing. Las Cafeteras. Let's see what else we can find about them. The band started out as students at the East Side Cafe, a community space in El Sereno, Los Angeles, where they took son, son jarocho classes. This is music uh, from the area around Veracruz. Influenced by music from Veracruz, Mexico, and eager to teach others about it, they started formally playing in 2005. Okay. Las Cafeteras songs have themes and references that range from the Civil Rights Movement, United Farm Workers, Dream Act, Immigration reform to female homicides in Ciudad Juarez. Their song La Bamba Rebelde, a remake of the traditional Mexican song from the state of Veracruz, La Bamba, denotes their Chicano pride. They say they construct their music as a tool for creating social change. Son Jarocho is a regional folk music style of Mexican song from Veracruz, a Mexican state along the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, Las Cafeteras. So we're going to, oh, saw this little thing by Richard Pryor about the N-word and how uh, capitalism always looks for ways to separate us. This is something that unites us, Richard Pryor, the N-word. The Trojans of the Cardinal always... We're going to cut out the advertising here. Online, they always want you to advertise. Richard Pryor lived from 1940 to 2005 
a gifted comedian that used social commentary as a basis for his comedy. A man who has endured his share of bigotry. This bit is about the word nigger. Listen, laugh, but more importantly, learn. It's nice to have pride about your shit. I went home to the motherland, and everybody should go home to Africa. Everybody, especially black people. <clears throat> really, man, there is so much to see there for the eye and the heart of the black people. Because white people, you'll go there and you get ideas. Well, that's the way the black people in America should be, walking around with sticks. <laughs> you'll get the wrong idea. <laughs> but, man, you go, I went to the motherland and my roots, right? 700 million black people. Not one of them motherfuckers knew me. I looked in every phone book in Africa. I didn't find one goddamn prize. I saw one familiar name, Jabo Walker. I called that up. This is in Arizona. One thing I got out of it was magic I'd like to share with you. You know, it's like I was leaving. And I was sitting in the hotel, and a voice said to me, he said, look around, what do you see? And I said, I see all colors of people doing everything, you know? And the voice said, do you see any niggas? I said, no. I said, you know why? Because there aren't any. And it hit me like a shot, man. I started crying and shit. I was sitting there, I said, yeah, I've been here three weeks. I haven't even said it. I haven't even thought it. And it made me say, oh my God, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I got to regroup my shit. I mean, I said, I ain't gonna never call another black man a nigga. <laughs> you know, because we never was no niggas. That's a word that's used to describe our own wretchedness. And we perpetuate it now because it's dead. That word's dead. We men and women, we come from, we come from the first people on the earth. You get the wrong idea. <laughs> But man, you go, I went to the mother and my roots, right? 700 million black people. Not one of them motherfuckers knew me. I looked in every phone book in Africa. I didn't find one goddamn prize. I saw one familiar name, Jabo Walker. I called that up. This is in Arizona. One thing I got out of it was magic I'd like to share with you, you know, it's like I was leaving and I was sitting in the hotel and a voice said to me, he said, look around, what do you see? And I said, I see all colors of people doing everything, you know, and the voice said, do you see any niggas? I said, no. I said, you know why? Because there aren't any. And it hit me. Like a shot, man. I started crying and shit. I was sitting there, I said, yeah, I've been here three weeks. I haven't even said it. I haven't even thought it. And it made me say, oh my God, I've been wrong.
I've been wrong. I got to regroup my shit. I mean, I said, I ain't gonna never call another black man a nigga. <laughs> you know, because we never was no niggas. That's a word that's used to describe our own wretchedness. And we perpetuate it now because it's dead. That word's dead. We men and women, we come from, we come from the first people on the earth. <laughs> you know? first people on the earth were black people because anthropologists white anthropologists so the white people go that could be true you know yeah dr leakey and them found people remains five million years ago in africa you know them motherfuckers didn't speak french so black people we the first people had thought right we's the first one to say where the fuck am i and how do you get to Detroit? <laughs> so you can take it for what it's worth. I know, like, I ain't... I'm just talking about my feelings about... And I don't want them hip white people coming to me, calling me no nigger, or telling me nigger jokes. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's uncomfortable to me. I don't like it when black people say it to me. I really don't know more. It's nothing. It don't mean nothing. So I love y'all, and you take that with you. I guess y'all say. So uh, Richard Pryor there, on the N-word, Pryor, uh, always profound, always talking about the funny things on the surface and the deeper meaning beneath, in this case, the N-word and how it's self, self-deprecating, Richard Pryor with the N-word. We opened up this show today with a song by the great Victor Jara. Victor Jara was uh, a Chilean musician, activist, teacher, and victim of the uh, Chilean military in a U.S.-backed coup on September 11th 1973. This is Wiki, Wiki, Wikipedia. The 1973 Chilean coup d'etat was a watershed event in both the Cold War and the history of Chile. Following an extended period of social and political unrest between the center-right dominated Congress of Chile and the elected socialist president Salvador Allende, as well as economic warfare by U.S. President Richard Nixon, Allende was overthrown by the armed forces and national police. During the air raids and ground attacks that preceded the coup, Allende gave his last speech in which he vowed to stay in the presidential palace 
which he did. He had a machine gun waiting for the troops to come and take him over and eventually some people think he committed suicide. The regime that took over was the uh, Pinochet regime. They herded thousands of people into a, uh, including Victor Hara, into a soccer stadium. And that soccer stadium became a place of brutality and torture. Uh, Henry Kissinger's famous remark stems from this whole period where he says that why should we have to sit by while uh, another country's people are dumb enough to vote in a Marxist government? Check it out. September 11th, 1973, uh, the U.S. overthrew an elected government, part of a series of uh, U.S.-sponsored coups. As for Hara himself, he was a theater director. Uh, his parents were working people. Um, his father was illiterate and encouraged his children to work from an early age to help the family survive rather than to attend school. Victor Hara was already working when he was six years old on the land. Father and mother split up because the father couldn't find enough work locally to keep the family together. And uh, he went off to find work while Victor was still a child. His mother persevered in raising Victor and his siblings. She insisted that they each get a good education. She played the guitar and the piano. Culture comes down through the mother. Um, another victim of this coup was the poet, the world-class poet, Nobel Prize winner, Pablo Neruda. The day after the coup began, the 12th of September, Hara was removed to the soccer stadium, there tortured and killed. His body was dumped a short way outside the uh, soccer stadium. Um... Let's see, there, there are some words that he wrote. Um, Estado Chile. Here's how it goes. There are 5,000 of us here. That, that means in the soccer stadium. There are 5,000 of us here in this small part of the city. We are 5,000. I wonder how many we are in all in the cities and in the whole country. How hard it is to sing when I must sing of horror. Horror which I am living, horror which I am dying. To see myself among so much and so many moments of infinity in which silence and screams are the end of my song. This poem was smuggled out in the shoe of 
one of Hada's friends or someone that he could trust to uh, get it out. Victor Hada, I got a couple of songs by Cuban singers here celebrating Victor Hada and Salvador Allende. Cuban singer Pablo Milanes, Salvador Allende, in su combate for la vida. En el momento en que tus personales, amigos de la vida y de la muerte, te rodeaban. Qué manera de alzarse en un abrazo. El odio, la traición, la muerte, el lodo Lo que constituyó tu pensamiento ha muerto todo Qué vida quemada, qué esperanza muerta Qué vuelta a la nada, qué fin Un cielo partido, una estrella rota Rodaban por dentro de ti Llegó este momento, no hay más nada Te viste empuñando un fusil Volaba lejos tu pensamiento Justo así el tiempo de mensajes de lealtades De hacer que daba Darse todo a Poco tiempo una nueva estrella armada Qué manera de quedarse tan grabada figura ordenando nacer los que te vieron oyeron decir ya no te olvidas lindaste con dos ríos y ayacucho como un libertador en Chacabuco los Andes que miraron crecerte te Partías el aire, saltaban las piedras, surgías perfecto de allí. Jamás un pensamiento de pluma y palabra de vino en tan fuerte ali. Cesó por un momento la existencia, morías comenzando a vivir. Volaba lejos tu Justo así el tiempo de mensajes de lealtad 
That was uh, Pablo Milanes with his song to uh, Salvador Allende and his uh, fight for victory. Let's see what else we got here. Santiago de Chile. I certainly uh, want to leave out Silvio Rodriguez, another very prominent Cuban singer, singing Santiago de Chile, Santiago, the capital of Chile. Saco de balas. 
Okay, we're running up on uh, 12 o'clock, 17 minutes, 12 to be exact. And I certainly don't want to uh, close the show out without recognizing Dia de Independencia de Mexico. Mexico and Independence Day. Yes, gringos, this is it. This is Independence Day, not Cinco de Mayo. This is the day where at a town called Dolores, a priest named Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla, whose statue is featured in Dolores Park here in San Francisco, stood up in his church and made a speech. And at the end of the speech, he said, Mueren a los gachupines. Gachupin was a slang word for the Spanish, Viva Mexico, Viva la Virgen de Guadalupe. And uh, thus began the uh, Mexican Revolution of 1810 uh, and set the tone for that revolution as a holy crusade. The Virgen de Guadalupe is the patron saint of Mexico. So anyway, it was on September 16th, the day before other nations in Central America had declared their Independence Day. So this part of September the 15th, the 16th, the 17th is the Independence Day of all kinds of people in uh, Central uh, in Mexi <clears throat> Mexico and Central America. Feliz Día de Independencia a ustedes muy bien. 11.46, we've just got a minute here, and I want to read, I want to leave you with this poem by Jacques Prévert, French poet, uh, also uh, scripted the film Les Enfants du Paradis. Pervers known for simplicity of style. One critic described his work as that friend pulling at your sleeve and saying, no, no, this world that they've constructed all around us is phony. Don't, don't listen to it. Think for yourself. Here's the poem. It's called Portier Libre, The Free Zone. I put my cap in the cage and went out with the bird on my head. So, one no longer salutes, asked the commanding officer. No, one no longer salutes, replied the bird. Ah, good. 
Excuse me, I thought one saluted, said the commanding officer. You are fully excused. Everybody makes mistakes, said the bird. So, too bad we don't live in a world like that, huh? <laughs> this is the bee and this is labor and love. And I'm uh, signing off. Say it's your birthday. It's my birthday too. Hope you have a good day. This is a call out to my soulmate, Sylvia Ramirez, my daughter, Vita, of whom each day I'm more proud. And all my family out there, the people who live with me and the people who don't. Remember, this is labor and love, and every week we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, another person worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a place at the negotiating table, you're probably on the menu. And wait a minute Beatles and never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor wishing you a good week and good work this is the B bye bye It ain't the Beatles, but it's the Grateful Dead singing about a scab driver who uh, is trying to stay awake, working extra to help the company out. Internacional. Bye bye, everyone.
Tell me what food relieves insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite? I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby. Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again. And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Join us every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. for Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse here on Mutiny Radio. I'm your host, Pam Benjamin, bringing you the best of San Francisco's underground comedy scene here every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. It's only $2. You can bring your own beer and listen to comedy here every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m., 21st in Florida. It's mutinyradio.fm. The House of Pride radio show, LGBT radio for everyone. Funky interviews, funky beats, talking drag queens, and much, much more. It's LGBT radio for everyone. Listen live every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride Radio, LGBT radio for everyone. Celebrating the considerable contributions of the LGBT community in San Francisco and beyond. Every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Listen here for hot new local beats by LGBT artists and listen to live interviews. Tune in, turn on, every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m., House of Pride Radio with drag queen personalities, Tweeka Turner and Pearl T. Are you sick of reading the news? Do you even bother to read the news anymore? Do you need someone to read it to you because it's just so disgusting and depressing? If so, then the Weekly Review is the show for you. Join Roman Reimer as Roman reads the news, whether it be LGBTQ issues, cannabis legalization, prison abolition, police brutality, or many other issues that sometimes the media just doesn't feel the need to cover. Listen in, Fridays at noon, Mutiny Radio. Roman's also joined by activists, community organizers, artists, and many other great folks working to make the world a better place. Have no fear. The news is here. And if you feel like yelling about it, well then Roman will be yelling with you. The Weekly Review, Fridays at noon, on Mutiny Radio. 
Hello comrades, this is your comrade Zach Wiseman, host of government-sponsored program Communist Folding Chairs, mandated by the Kremlin to occur every Monday 2 to 4 p.m. Broadcast by our comrades at mutinyradio.fm. Sit, relax, listen to my comrades in stand-up comedy, march honorably through their cold balance sets, and other comrades make fun of them. Because in Mother Russia, if you can't laugh about starving for turnip and beet and attention, you are a capitalist pig, and the KB- KGB will visit you shortly. Every Monday, 2 to 4 p.m. Looking to invest in the future of your community? MutinyRadio.fm and the Boys and Girls Club Mission Clubhouse needs your help. Please donate to keep the Radio Classroom Institute right now alive on the air every Thursday from 4.50 to 5.50 p.m. Donations are tax deductible. Donate outline at www.mutinyradio.fm or just stop by the station at 21st Street and Florida. That's 2781 21st Street and throw some cash in the big glass jar. Stop by to experience live audience friendly shows every day of the week and know that you're supporting the future of the mission by keeping free speech alive for all ages. This PSA is brought to you by your friends and community partners at muniradio.fm. Hi, I'm Chuck Weiss. If you're an old baby boomer like me, pain is probably something you've learned to live with by now. Yes, there are drugs on the market that help, but they come with side effects and shouldn't be used for extended periods of time. But fortunately, there is an effective natural pain reliever available in this state, medical cannabis. Let me tell you about Alta California Botanicals. They're a manufacturer of fine cannabis tinctures. Now you can take your medication in liquid form, much more discreet than pulling out a pipe and lighting up. Alta California Botanicals offers five different formulations, each one addressing a specific medical concern. There are two that are designed for pain, one to be swallowed, of course, and a new one for external use only. I'm going to have to try that one myself on my arthritic fingers. There's a tincture for stress and one for anxiety. They'll certainly keep you mellow. And there's even one for people who suffer from MS. The cannabis tinctures from Alta California Botanicals come in one half ounce bottles. Each batch is laboratory tested and certified free of pesticides and mold. In other words, completely natural and unadulterated. Alta California Botanicals doesn't sell directly to the public, of course, but if you visit their website at Alta, A-L-T-A, CaliforniaBotanicals.com and enter your zip code, they'll give you a list of dispensaries near you that keep their tinctures in stock. Now here's a tip for the holiday season. Keep a couple of extra bottles of the stress formula handy. It'll help maintain your cool amongst all that shopping madness. I'm Chuck Weiss for AltaCaliforniaBotanicals.com. Do you have a great idea for a product or service but don't know where to start? Are you looking to expand your current business? Women's Initiative of San Francisco began its business management training program for low-income, high-potential women in 1988. 
to attend a free orientation on how you can achieve your dream of starting your own business, or for more information, please contact 415-641-3460 or visit womensinitiative.org. This public service announcement Flat Black Plastic, MutinyRadio.fm, coming to you from Sunny Mission. Strap in for the rock. This goes out to God's Corner, Bose and Valencia. Steve. 